Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening as we are in the early weeks of our 30th year together. Amazing. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of the last, I don't know, 600 years now of all the broadcasts that we have that are <laughs> available. You can listen to podcasts on newsradioklbj.com. Go to that website. Also, with this Thursday after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. And you can also download the free app Sound, SoundCloud and listen there. As you know, if you're a regular listener, and I hope that you become one if you are not, I take today's calls first and then today's second. And then if I have any previous texts I haven't fully covered, and then the most hateful, terrible thing happens, and that's when I bloviate. So it'd be a great idea if you call or text 512-836-0590. Here, let's just see. I think we just got a text in. We have interesting software here. Please tell me about LIRP, Life Insurance Retirement Plan. I keep hearing about them from other radio financial planners. I do not know what that is specifically. I can tell you that generally speaking, most types of life insurance are not designed for retirement plans. Now there are some exceptions and and I'll get into this. Generally, there's three reasons to have life insurance, and that's because you believe you will need, if you are the insured, the death benefit, and that's either because uh, you're going to have a taxable estate and you want to have the life insurance uh, death benefit pay the, pay the uh, estate tax. Second is what we call business continuation. If you and I have a business and it's successful and we're 50-50 owners, for example, uh, you buy life insurance on my life, I do on you, and then upon my demise, you get the death benefit and pay my heirs agreed upon amount. The third and most common is what we call income protection, which you're when you're a young person, you may have a spouse and kids and a mortgage and you haven't saved up for retirement adequately and you have you're looking at college education expenses. And if one of you dies there's a big hole in the financial plan and you buy life insurance to take care of that for a while. But generally speaking, when you start talking about life insurance and you combine it with a retirement plan, there is one type of insurance that is getting conversation in the retirement plan community, and that would be what we call immediate annuities, and that would be turning your life insurance, your, your ins- I beg your pardon, your retirement plan into uh, something that looks like a pension, that would be lifetime income, where you could say, okay, I'm going to take the assets in my 401k, and I'm going to buy a, a life annuity, 
that will begin when I retire or at some specific age and will pay me a monthly income until I die or, depending on which riders I select, a monthly income for me and the life of my spouse or for a 10-year period certain, for example. That would be, in my view, if it's appropriate, a legitimate use of life insurance for a retirement. Other than that, if you're talking about some form of investment, generally speaking, putting something that has uh, higher returns and therefore volatility in a retirement plan is entirely appropriate. But adding to that the death benefit costs or what are called mortality expenses drives up the cost and down the investment returns. And if you have spent much time considering investments, you know that one of the key factors in total return over years is what the cost of investing is. And so to the the extent that you can keep that cost at the lowest level, you have higher future returns. So if you take a 401k that's invested in mutual funds and you add a life insurance component to that, you're going to get lower long-term returns. There needs to be a really significant benefit. And the fact that you hear about it on the radio um, is fine. You hear me on the radio, but you always want to make sure that if the person doing the radio broadcast is essentially asking you to make a specific investment with him or her, because I think that's you have to be careful about that. That doesn't mean they're dishonest people by any means, but you want to ask yourself, what are their motivations and how do they get compensated, just as if you would ask any service professional how they would get compensated, whether it's your attorney or your architect or your CPA. So I know that's a long-winded answer. I'm not familiar with life insurance retirement plan. That sounds to me like a specific life insurance product, but that's my view on life insurance as it relates to being in retirement plans. Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I came across this uh, piece in today's Wall Street Journal, uh, and it really talks about what happens when interest rates rise and its impact on government debt. I'm just going to read you a few pieces until, oh good, someone text, I saved that bloviation point till later. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Carl, thanks for your great show and shared insights. You're welcome. I am likely retiring this year at age 66. I have a level of consternation about how to psychologically handle the transition from putting money into the bucket every month to not doing so anymore and then pulling money out, even though our advisor says we're fine to do so. Are you aware of any books or other resources to help with the mental side of this sustainable change, substantive change? Thank you again, weekly listener. You know, um, I wish I had a I wish I had an answer for you. I mean, obviously, if you're a regular listener, you know that uh, my two best teachers on any issue regarding retirement planning and investing have been trial and error. Uh, I think you're absolutely, uh, frankly, because you're a saver and investor, you're in a normal place psychologically. Retiring after a lifetime of work can be really difficult for people. 
uh, retiring to something as opposed to just retiring from something. I know that I'm, from my reading that that's really, really important. I have not come across a book that deals with the emotional part of the financial part of retiring. I'm sure if you Google, there'd be lots of books on the emotional components of retiring. I would say to you that since you have an advisor and you obviously have confidence in her or him, that you go speak with this person and ask their experience with other people who have gone through what you're anticipating going through and how have they dealt with that. Having a good advisor at some points, I don't want to overstate this, but it's a bit like having a therapist, more shall we say a financial therapist, who's been through thick and thin, who's seen good times and bad times, and can help you through this transition time. But I apologize, I don't have a specific title. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Uh, stick around. I'm going to visit with a caller when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you are listening to News Radio KLBJ. This is Money Talk. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5, and when you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Fred, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Wonderful show as always. Thank you. Tried listening Tried listening for years. Uh, very basic. I will turn 62 and want to retire this year. I'm debt-free. I will have between social and a uh, social and a pension and my spending habits for the last couple of years. It looks like everything's covered. Good. I have, eh, let's call it two fifty, three hundred thousand in uh, IRA. Raw four hundred one uh-huh. cash stuff like that. Uh huh. It, it, and it looks like uh, good health. Everybody passed in their nineties, and I will have health care uh, reasonably covered through my pension. Terrific. So it looks like all that investment that I have. Yes. Um, I should have some. I should be able to withstand some risk. Yes. Um, I've got a couple of uh, of money managers and yes. financial folks. Don't really think I've made is uh, the returns have been what I what I think they should have been um, yeah. yeah now that I'm gonna have time to study this kind of stuff how would I how would you suggest investing the money or sure. where to go sure I'm not looking at killing but of course I'd right. like to grow what funds right. I have because the future is always unsure sure um, okay at, at this point, I'm, you know making adult decisions and it's very difficult. Okay. Well, first of all, congratulations because you're going to retire with no debt. I know that that's kind of un-American these days, but when people retire and they have mortgage debt, credit card debt, they have to have a lot more retirement savings because those expenses don't immediately go away even though their earned income does. So retiring debt-free is, I think, probably the single most important thing before we talk about investments when you retire. Now, now because, the, because the pension is a lifetime income and Social Security is a lifetime income, and because you have probably the most expensive 
uh, issue covered with health insurance, then you have to go kind of go down the hierarchy and say, what is any, what are my additional risks, whether they're evident or not? And the, the risk is that you really have to plan on, because of what you said, and along with just longevity numbers, 30 years, let's say. And over 30 years, if we had uh, 3% uh, inflation, uh, you would need to have a lot more income. And so right. the, the risk to you is the devaluation of your income or the increasing cost of living, however you want to say it. So that puts you in a position where you want to invest your capital at risk because you have essentially this huge bond portfolio. You can't make Social Security turn, turn your life income into a bond. You can't do that with your pension. But you're getting guaranteed income regardless of the outlook for the economy or the financial markets. So now it's time to think about building something that outpaces inflation over time. And at 62, the real answer, of course, is the, is the stock market. And I think the way you do this, you now have time on your own, and you can do this without an advisor if you choose. And what I would do is there's plenty of books. Just if you look at books, be very careful that they're educational and they're not trying to sell some kind of trading philosophy. Secondly, you can study the lives of successful investors. Obviously, the one that we think of who's alive today is Warren Buffett. And what we know about him is that he buys stocks and he seldom, se he seldom sells them. And he is, a, he, is, he is truly a long-term investor. And that's what you want to be. So you can go to the websites of some of the large broker-dealers like Charles Schwab and mutual fund companies like Fidelity and Vanguard and T. Rowe Price and some of the other fund companies, the big ones, Capital Group, and they will have papers on retirement and the ways to think about how you invest your money. Now, if you're going to do this yourself and you want to keep the expenses low, there are kind of two things to consider. The first is What's the right mix for me? That's the big decision. We call that the asset allocation decision because the stock market in the last three calendar years are a perfect example is an extremely volatile asset class. So you would have had 20 plus percent returns in 21, minus 20% returns in 22, and plus 20% returns in 23. So that's why you have to look down the road and not at the week-to-week -week and year-to-year -year returns. So the mix of assets, if it's going to be all equities, how much in domestic, how much in foreign. If you want to keep your expenses at the lowest level, you buy index funds. You can either buy regular, what are called open-end funds, from the big purveyors like Fidelity and like Vanguard, and there are others, or you can buy something called exchange-traded funds, and these are very tax-efficient and have low expenses. That's the simplest thing to do. Now, there are lots of actively managed stock funds that I'm very comfortable with, but I would tell you the lesson I've learned through trial and error is there are two kinds of actively managed stock funds. Ones that do better in good times than the general stock market, and ones that do better in bad times by not going down as much the general stock market. But there's no fund in my experience over 45 years that can do both of those. So you can either go with cheap index funds or cheap index funds and put some of those other kinds of funds in small amounts. 
if you want to do something other than equities, you have to be careful about doing very much in bonds because you have this imputed bond portfolio already with Social Security and your pension. So I would keep the bond exposure lower than for most people because you have these other income streams at maybe 10 to 15 percent. The other thing you can consider, and this is not a short-term recommendation, is you can put something like gold by doing a gold exchange traded fund in there for 5 to 10 percent as a, as a hedge against very bad times. It's kind of like homeowner's insurance. You could do that as well. So the step is do your homework. If you really discover that this is interesting to you, there's nothing like a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And the reason is you just read the headlines and then read the articles that catch your interest. In six months from now, you're going to be shocked at how much you know about the U.S. and global economy and how much more intelligent you're going to be about investing your money. So that's kind of a step-by-step approach. You have mentioned that so many times. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, hey, the, you know, you're the ones where you're the one we turn to. And it's like if you're going to say, I like one of these financial seminars because I always glean something, and I I think you mentioned that yes every program. So there's obviously <laughs> something there. Yeah. Um, one thing real quick, I have uh, I've looked and I've seen a lot of people talk about gold, and they said you know it, it's ups and downs, but those that have tracked it for 20, 30, 50 years, said it it really hasn't kept up. So That's right. That's absolutely right. In fact, in 1980, it traded at $800 an ounce, and today at $2,000 an ounce. On an inflation-adjusted basis, it is still not back to where it was in 1980. There's no question that it's it's much more of a hedge in bad times than it's a total return. If you just look strictly at returns, nothing beats the U.S. stock market. And I mean that. It's If you go back and look at the long-term return, I was looking today, and if, not that you, anybody's alive who did this, but if you put $1,000 in the U.S. stock market using the Standard & Poor 500 on J- January 1st, of 1926 today it's worth 14.5 million dollars really and that's through world wars inflation all kinds of problems so for people who have the longer view and you should because of your age and health there's nothing worse than nothing better than that and nothing worse than being too conservative in my opinion kyle gotcha Thank you okay. so very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Carl, I was looking at a high-yield dividend stocks and read about Master Limited Partnerships. What was confusing is that part of the dividend was considered a return to capital. How would that affect your cost basis when the stock is sold? And what do you think about MLPs? This is from Steve. So Steve's a sophisticated investor because that's a pretty interesting question. So master limited partnerships typically would be something like they would invest in an asset, let's say like um, a pipeline where they collect the the rent, so to speak, for the natural gas or the oil or whatever, and they pay that straight through. Because it's a partnership and because it's not a corporation, you're going to get a K-1 return as a limited partner rather than a 1099, and you start with a capital account, and some of that distribution – for, for tax accounting purposes, 
is treated as a return to capital. And in fact, it does reduce your basis, your adjusted basis. So if you put in $50,000 in three years from now, your cost basis is $40,000 and you sold it for $50,000, you might not have a nominal gain based on what you paid, but you would have a taxable gain because your basis has gone down relative to the sales price. So you want to be very careful about that. Generally, master limited partnerships do not belong in retirement plans because of something fancy called unrelated business taxable income. But listen to me, Mr. CPA, which I'm absolutely not. So that's the deal with MLPs. They're okay, but don't overweight them in my opinion. Time for me to take a break. A great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for the last half hour of our broadcast. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Or go there at your convenience, download podcasts of previous shows. You can also download the free app SoundCloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. G.D., you're on the line and you're on the air. How may I help? Um, Yes, Carl. My question is, uh, when uh, Vanguard Index was like 425, I sold it. So now it's in the money market. I'm debating. I'm 64. I may retire in like three, four years. I'm just thinking. Mm-hmm. I already have a CDs worth about 150k. Mm-hmm. And now this 150, I'm thinking again in the CDs, which in my align, my credit union gives me like 5.45. Yeah. And jumbo rate. Yeah. So then I was think somebody told me a U.S. Treasury bond. Then uh, there's a callable, non-callable. Then uh, again, that uh, you know may not be guaranteed. Uh, they may sell in six months, uh, but the maximum year is they sell you for one year. So what? And also in this, I will have about three hundred thousand dollars worth of CDs. It's a tax. It's ordinary income. So do you have any better suggestion for my age? Of course, I'm not touching my 401k. I got enough 401k. This is more of a disposable, in, a disposable income for me. So I'm just, uh, yes. but at the same time, I don't want to play any games. Okay. Uh, what is your advice? Sir? Okay. Well, I would say this. While certificates of deposit and shorter-term treasuries have returns right now higher than they've had in several years and returns that are higher than the current rate of inflation, the odds mm-hmm. are that those rates are going to decline. And that over history, certificates of deposit and other cash-type instruments after income tax and after inflation have a negative return. So why would you – I'm going to answer this question. Why would I be in CDs? Because I wanted no risk and I was going to stay under the $250,000 limit 
per institution. And I'm prepared to know that five years from now, based on history, that money will buy fewer goods and services than it does today, including the interest I've earned on the CD. So I'm not a fan of CDs unless, because I don't think they're an investment. I think they're a parking place. So if you want to use them as a parking place, that's fine, but they're not an investment because of the negative real returns over time. Treasuries, you can buy individual securities. They are not callable. You can buy bills which mature in 13, 26, and 52 weeks. You can buy notes with maturities from 1 to 10 years. And you can buy bonds with maturities from 10 years to 30 years. You can buy those individually. Or if you prefer, you can buy, go back to your Vanguard, and you can buy a Vanguard index fund or a bank Vanguard fund that buys treasuries, short or intermediate or long term. You don't need the income. You reinvest the dividends from the treasury bond funds or the corporate bond funds. And slowly over time, it grows because you've reinvested what's called the dividend. It's the interest from the bonds. And now you have earning interest on a larger amount of money. So if you want to stay conservative and you don't want to put more money in the stock market in addition to what I hope you're doing in your 401k, I think you're better off over the years doing an intermediate term investment grade bond fund, whether it's an index fund or an actively managed fund. My bias is actively managed, but either way, and reinvest the dividends, I believe over the next five years, you'll end up with a better return because I believe interest rates will decline. And when they do, returns on CDs will decline and bonds will go up in value and you will have a better total return. And that's what I would do if I didn't want to go into the stock market. I would not do CDs uh, because you're young and because the returns over time are negative after taxes and inflation. So what did you say? Which uh, uh, a bond? Fund, a a bond, either a bond mutual fund or a bond exchange traded fund. And you want it? You do not want what are called high yield bond funds, and you do not what are called long term bond funds. You want an intermediate term investment grade bond fund. There are lots of them out there. You can buy them passively managed in exchange traded fund format or you can buy them actively managed. I think over the next five years, they'll give you a better return than certificates of deposit. But Carl, isn't it a bond also can, uh, I can lose a principal? Well, that's I mean, why, that's, that's no, no. Interest rate uh, go low now? It may have low, the interest rate. If rates go low, uh, talking about that. Yeah. If, you're, if rates go low, your bonds go up in value. They rise. You make okay. money. okay. No, and you buy the reason I say investment grade is they're not going to go away. I, that's why you want to avoid high yields for two reasons: they have more risk that the, but they could default, and they tend to go down when the stock market declines. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you. You uh, bet. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I can call you at office, right? Really, if I want to, you know, you know um, go with your uh, company. Yes. Yes. 
right. Okay. okay. Th- Thank thanks you. for calling. You're yeah. listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. It's funny that he said that at the end. So here's I'm on the horns of a dilemma. Here's a text that says, Happy Saturday, Carl. Frequent listener and wondering if you take new clients, and if so, what's the best way to set something up with you? Okay. So if you're a long-term listener, you know I don't <laughs> – I don't talk about my practice or how to get a hold of me, but I'm going to answer the question. I spell my name Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, and you can Google Carl Stewart, and you'll, you can get a phone number. That's all I'm going to say about that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Uh, hi, Carl. Thank you again for this great show. You're welcome. Do you remember a time in your career when the S&P 500 stocks were responsible for 75% of the market gains? Is price earnings still a relevant measure? That's a thoughtful question. I will tell you that that this occurred, I don't know about if it was the S&P, I suspect it was the NASDAQ, but the same phenomenon. What this uh, text person is talking about is the concentration of what some people are calling the Magnificent Seven with names like Microsoft and NVIDIA, Google, Meta, uh, are driving the S&P 500 and that the other 453 stocks don't have nearly the same returns, which is accurate. And I would say this reminds me very much of 1999, where if you didn't own Dell Computer and you didn't own Cisco Systems, you weren't in the game because the leadership that began and more broadly in 1995 as that bull market proceeded with 20 plus percent returns in the S&P every year for five years, as that proceeded and got older, it became the, the leadership became more and more narrow and peaked in March of 2000 with what now we call the dot-com bust. But it wasn't just dot-coms. They were technology stocks. So I do remember that in my career a long time ago. Now, is P.E. still a relevant measure? Is price-earnings ratio a relevant measure? The answer is yes. Uh, It's a way to consider valuation. Ironically, you can look at some companies. I was reading a piece the other day where an analyst was asserting that NVIDIA, which was up, I don't know, 250% last year, I have no idea, just some ridiculous amount, because of the growth in its earnings, is not overpriced. Now, I'm not making a recommendation here, and I'm not an individual equity analyst, but PE matters, but it's not only the price-earnings ratio today, which is a backward-looking number, it's the price-earnings ratio on based on what earnings are likely to be. Because low P.E. in and of itself is insufficient to determine the valuation of a company. How does it compare to other companies in similar industries? How does it compare in terms of its historical valuation? What are the fundamental factors like artificial intelligence is driving NVIDIA? What are those factors and what are they likely to mean? So I think this is complicated. I think P.E. does matter. But I can tell you, for example, I'm familiar with a really successful uh, mutual fund portfolio manager. And he takes the view that companies in the technology space spend lots of money on research and development. But the way the accounting rules are set, 
They can't take that as an expense. They have to do it just like if they were buying a building or machinery, and they have to capitalize that and then amortize it over a period of years. And this person's view is that Apple spends billions, I'm making this up, I don't know this, billions of dollars over time on research and development. And if you add back in their R&D expenditures, then they ha- then you have a completely different PE. Now, I also talked to a value manager in New York a week ago, and he said, yes, but that assumes that research and development is always successful. And, of course, we by its nature, it's not. Just look at the biotech industry. This is complicated, so PE does matter, but it's not enough on a standalone basis. It's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to visit with Hank when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another quarter hour. If you have a question, call or text 512 836 0590. Hank, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Carl. I'm you looking bet. for some of your sage advice <laughs> uh, concerning uh, uh, recent graduate, college graduate who yeah. didn't get a business degree yeah. uh, that's looking to find an apprenticeship, so to speak, in uh, the financial yes. services industry. Yes. And uh, I say that from the standpoint of... You know, the biggies out there from Fisher, Raymond right. James, right. Edward Jones, or Schwab. Right. I'm sure there are quite a few others yes. out there, even yes. from the mutual fund aspect. But, yes. you know, what do you look for? Or what kind of sure. guidance could you give such sure. a person? Sure. So, t- typically, historically, there are two uh, entry levels. And one is in what is called the retail side as opposed to the institutional side. So that would be going to work at Charles Schwab or Fidelity or UBS or Morgan Stanley or Raymond James or something like that. So at the entry level, the barriers to entry at a place like Fidelity or Charles Schwab are lower because you're, you're going to have to take, once you get hired, You'll be, they'll have you take what's called the Series 7 exam, but then they'll put you as a customer service representative so you can learn. They'll teach you. You'll have training, and you can learn about their particular line of products, and you can do that. And you can also, to some degree, work in a branch office where human beings, that's why it's called retail clients, actually come in and you can develop your interpersonal skills because most people who are 22 don't have enough life experience. And most people who invest money are their parents' age. And they look at, they look at the youngster and go, really? I remember when I was 22, I wouldn't give anybody my, any, my, wouldn't give me anybody's money. And so you need to get that experience. So that's one way to go about it. Another way is that the big asset management firms that have mutual funds, and well, that's not fair. The medium and small asset management firms have, have mutual funds, and the starting place there is called an internal wholesaler, internal wholesaler. This person, 
used to be went to the mothership in Boston or New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, and they may still do that for training, but it wouldn't surprise me if they can live someplace else because it's on the phone, and they're calling potential clients. So they're calling, they're calling investment advisors, invest uh, registered representatives, trying to get appointments for their external wholesalers to go visit to try to sell their mutual funds to these financial advisors. That's tough work, but it develop, you, either fi- you either fail or, or you make it, but you develop a tough skin. The hardest thing to do because is to get hired as a financial advisor by, say, Merrill Lynch. I'm just using them because they're the biggest or one of the biggest. Why? Because they're going to invest in training him or her that's tens of thousands of dollars, and the failure rate is astronomical. I'll tell you that I had seven people I was a trainee with. Six of them failed, okay? It's really, really hard because you're asking people who you don't know to trust you with their money. Now, that's, if, that's, if that's ultimately this person's uh, opportunity, this person's goal, fine with me. The likelihood that coming straight out of college and getting at getting recruited or getting a job, doing that is extremely low because generally second career people are more attractive. They have life experience. And, of course, they're going to give you their requisite personality tests, et cetera, to see if you have the kind of personality that is much more outgoing than introverted. So those are the ways in which to access what I would call the financial industries uh, the financial industry, the financial services industry. Is there uh, some, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, associated type apprenticeship type programs, whereas uh, you've got an established uh, uh, financial advisor and they're looking to kind of yes. retire down the road. Yes. And yes. looking at the... Uh, uh, supported uh financial yeah yeah whatever say you know hey this guy looks pretty good let's take him on for a quote-unquote apprenticeship right situation yeah i would say the answer is a qualified yes but likely no uh because you have to look at it from the hiring standpoint so if you're a 60 year old advisor and you're with a large company like morgan stanley and they're going to they're going to have other advisors who are in their 30s who they're going to suggest you transition your book of business to rather than hire somebody just out of college that doesn't mean it's impossible but for that for for this person they're not going to get hired by morgan stanley and get to go work with an advisor when they're fresh out of college in my experience because there's too much demand from people who have more life experience now it's possible that if they if they started looking at people who were independent advisors who who don't who are not employees at UBS or Raymond James or LPL or because some of those companies like Wells Fargo and Raymond James and LPL have what are called independent advisors who own their own practices they might be they might be able to you know for this person to talk to but the odds yeah, of getting on I mean- Getting a being an apprenticeship with a what we call a wirehouse when you're 22 or slim and none. Well, good uh, uh, <laughs> good advice. The kid's got a, I guess, an independent advisor with one of the other folks that good. apparently uh, is looking to take it on. You know, the individual has 
been a teacher for a couple years. Good. So. Terrific. So good luck. Great. <laughs> yes, sir. Thanks okay. a lot. I you appreciate bet. it, Carl. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Tom, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, great show, Carl. Thank you. Hey, Carl, do you have any advice or maybe a source of information of kind of retirement rules of thumb? I'm really struggling to know if I'm on track to yes. be able to retire let's say at around yes. 60 62 sure. um sure. i've got I, I mean i can tell you how much i'm 53 i've got x in savings but i, I just don't know if i'm uh, sure good bad and right you know, where i'm at great question so let me ask you this do you have a financial or an investment advisor no okay then you're going to do this on your own there's software out there because a lot of financial advisors that what you're looking for I'm going to make a distinction. Always at the beginning of the broadcast, I say Money Talk is a program about the about financial and investment planning. This is the financial planning part of it, as opposed to asset allocation, et cetera. This is the part, and, it, and they're fortunately for you, a lot of software programs. And if you have the time and the patience, you can put in a lot of data and then what occur and you can put in what your goals are you put in all kinds of stuff all kinds of personal stuff and then it will it will run a thousand simulations these are called monte carlo simulations it'll run a thousand simulations the stuff that really happened the way the financial markets really occurred and it will give you a percentage chance of accomplishing your objective if you if you put in i need this much money when i retire to live on this is what i've got these are my expenses etc 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 it'll plug in what your projected social security benefit is it'll do all kinds of stuff and it'll come up and, but it's software it doesn't mean it's a human being using 30 40 years of experience but it's out there so if you want to do this you can do it you just need to take time and Google some software and see what you come up with because there's robust material out there to deal with what you're asking. Oh, that's good. That's, so you find, you find that software is, is pretty helpful in that regard. I think it's, you know, back when computers first started, they used the acronym GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. I think if you're willing to take the time and work through it and give it robust information the answer is yes the key is you give it really robust information and then it runs these monte carlo simulations and the good news is you may find out that you have unrealistic expectations you're 53 you have some time to something to you know you have time to do something about that it may say your current allocation in your 401k plans just fine or it may say it's too conservative or you have too much money in the bank or too much money in cds can be very helpful uh in that regard Gotcha. That's great. Yeah, I, I did actually see one of those from Fidelity that I thought looked pretty good. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try that. Spend some time with that. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, we're down to the last couple of minutes. I'm going to read this text. Hi, Carl. I added some contributions electronically to a Roth 401k in addition to my regular contributions I have at my company. I was not asked to choose funds separately. Should I assume it is because our designated 401k management company will use the same investments already allocated? Love your show. Thanks so much. Thank you. I think because your plan 
sponsor, which is your employer, has a level of fiduciary responsibility, and so does the plan administrator and the people who pick the investments. My common sense tells me that you have the same asset allocation in your Roth 401k as you do in your pre-tax. But it's real simple to find out if you have online access, go online and look at the mix in your Roth 401k. Or if you don't have online access, ask your plan administrator for a reading on what your asset allocation is in both your pre-tax and your after-tax. But my guess is simply because of the risk of you know, putting you in a money market fund or something like that uh, would be so high to them because you've already expressed what it is that you want and how you want your money invested. My common sense tells me it's the same way. But as someone once said, trust, but I think it was Ronald Reagan, as a matter of fact, trust, but verify. And that's what I would do if I were you. Well, we're down to the end of the broadcast. Been a lot of fun today. I want to thank Isaac and Kyle for doing their good job. There are a couple of texts I'm going to copy and talk about those next week, probably, but you won't know unless you join me next Saturday after the news at four for Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 